Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I have my dear friend Sarah McDougall on the episode today, and she's going to be on subsequent episodes. So make sure that you stay tuned for all the episodes that we have together. Before we get to Sarah, I know this year has been hard for all of us. It has been a just slog. <laughs> uh, not only with the abuse, but also obviously the coronavirus and all of the other trials and tribulations that all of us are going through. I want you to know that my heart is with you because we understand what it's like to be a woman in this situation. We created Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group just for you. When I was going through this, there was nothing available like this. Also, I didn't understand it was abuse. So we created this to be exactly what I would have needed back in the day and what our entire team at Betrayal Trauma Recovery would have wanted back in the day. So Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group has multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. We do recommend that the first time you join, you join on a laptop or a desktop, but after that you can join anywhere, on any device, on a phone, on a tablet. Once you get the hang of it, it's pretty easy to join on any type of device. All of the team here struggled with childcare. We struggled with finding a therapist or a coach who really, really got it. Myself, I went through several therapists who had tried to explain to them what was going on and I had to kind of educate them. And even then they didn't really believe me. Everyone on our team at Betrayal Trauma Recovery has had that experience. I'm sure you've had that experience, which is why you're here. The cool thing about our coaches is they are specially trained. They get it immediately. Plus they've been through it. So they also get it immediately. They can help you make your way to safety and peace, which is what you deserve. To see our session schedule, go to btr.org, and we'd love to see you in a session today. Thank you so much to those of you who have given the podcast a five-star review. Here's one that we received on Apple Podcasts, peace and safety. Peace and safety, peace and safety. These are what I have now, five years and a divorce out from my husband's unmasking. I found this podcast about two years ago and so wish I had found it sooner. I spent years trying to figure out my now ex-husband's behavior while being emotionally and psychologically manipulated and abused instead of trying to find peace and safety for myself and my three children. I hope new listeners going through what I did take Anne's encouragement to make their goal peace and safety and not try to figure out what is going on with their abuser. Thank you for the podcast, Anne. I now have peace and safety. I'm so thankful for everyone who is so supportive of this podcast. And me personally, uh, it's actually not easy. Well, you've guessed that probably to be a single mom doing this, going through my personal trials that I go through. Um, I appreciate your prayers and your support. So thank you for the reviews. I love reading them. It brings like hope that I'm not just podcasting here out into the void of the internet. I love hearing from you. So if you haven't already and you're so inclined, please go to Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps and give the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast a five-star rating. Every single one of your ratings helps isolated women find us. So now to a series of episodes with my dear, dear friend, Sarah McDougall. Sarah and I talk personally a lot and she's just become a dear friend. Her organization, Wilderness to Wild is incredible. She has amazing Facebook videos that she puts out often, so I'd really encourage you to follow her on Facebook. We're on Facebook, too, at Betrayal Trauma Recovery, so while you're there, follow us, too. At the end of each of these episodes, Sarah's going to be offering some free materials that she's created. She creates amazing like infographics and educational materials that I would encourage all of you to check out. We'll put all the links to that on these episodes on our website at btr.org, and she'll talk about those at the end of each episode. 
All right, let's get to it. Sarah McDougall is an incredible warrior for truth and for victims of abuse. She is an author, speaker, trainer, and abuse recovery coach who works exclusively with women wounded by toxic relationships in the faith community. She emphasizes biblical prevention, responsible strategy, and holistic healing in her coaching and courses for clarity and confidence. She also trains organizations and faith leaders to recognize and respond to abuse through podcasts, TV, radio, training, events, and lectures. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I am so glad to be here with you today. We've tried to get around to this episode a long time, haven't we? We have. It's been months. Yeah, we have been trying to get around to this episode for a long time. And I know you contacted me like close to the beginning of the year, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was right when I had been diagnosed with cancer and my life had just been turned completely upside down and I was starting chemotherapy and the whole thing. And now here we are like eight months later, 10 months later, something. Yes. Yeah, before we get to the topic we wanted to talk about, which is devaluing, can you just give a little update about your cancer situation in the context of everything that's going on with you? Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. So almost a year ago now, I uh, had been in intense, constant, chronic pain. And like a whole lot of moms, single moms, I ignored it for like over a year. And my back hurt and my hip hurt and my knee hurt to the point that by about a year ago, I was kind of walking like an old lady a lot of the time. I couldn't sleep at night. I was constantly swapping out ice packs and then trading out heat packs for ice packs and taking hot Epsom salts baths and trying to do all kinds of things. And I ended up going and finally getting it checked out and found out that I had a 19 centimeter tumor. Uh, I had bone cancer in my leg and it was all the pain was from that tumor's growth that was completely unexpected. And here I was just this shy of 40 and diagnosed with bone cancer. And I had always lived this extremely healthy life. And like, I was always a vegetarian and I never drank or smoked or, you know, just had this clean lifestyle and all the things that you're supposed to do to not get cancer at 39, except for avoiding trauma. I hadn't been very good at that. Which is totally your fault, Sarah. Yeah, it's totally my fault. I just missed my trauma. So hello, cancer. But yeah, so it was a whole different type of learning curve. And I had to go through six rounds of chemotherapy and four weeks of daily radiation. And um, here we are on the other side. The cancer is gone. And I am incredibly thankful. God taught me a tremendous amount of things about his heart and his character and about the process of healing over this year in ways that I had not experienced before. So there you have it. That's amazing. And hopefully you'll share some of those insights with us today as we're talking about the topic that I've asked you to come talk about, which is devaluing. And before we get there, I just want to share with you that I appreciate your optimism and your faith and your strength and your just incredible example to all of us that you face hardship with such grace and such 
love and share your insights with others. And I'm so proud of you and grateful to know you. And also just think that like, you are one of the most amazing people that I know. And I'm so sorry that you've been through so much, but it couldn't have happened to a better person to share with us the insights that you've gained along the way. You know, it's funny how I think one time you and I were praying together and we had a similar kind of conversation. Like I have, and this is just diving right into the thick of it. One of the things I think survivors of abuse or betrayal often ask is God, why me? Right. If you have any faith background is this whole sudden wrestling with God. Like why, why, why did this happen to me? Why me? Why maybe you did all the right things. Maybe you waited for just the right person. Maybe you saved yourself before marriage. And if you did any of those things, then when really devastating things happen in your family life, it's really easy to ask God, like, what's up, God? This wasn't supposed to happen because I did all the right things, right? And I went through those same stages like everyone does. And where God has led me since then and on that journey is to kind of reframe that question from why me to why not me? Why do I think that I deserve to be exempt from suffering in a world that is filled with sin and suffering. Now, I do not on any level believe that God is the author of pain. I do not believe that God sends us pain just to make us better or something bizarre and crazy. There are people who say that, and I think that that is just a a cruel misrepresentation of God's character. That's my personal opinion based on my study. But I do believe that we live in a world that is chock full of pain and suffering as a result of sin. God is capable of bringing silver linings out of storm clouds. And for me, one of those silver linings has been being able to take the things that have happened to me and use them as instruments to create community for other people who are suffering similarly and who need help and support. Yeah. And I've seen you do that beautifully through the years. And it's such an honor to know you, (laughs) to know the work that you do and how every instance of suffering that you experience, you turn that to others to help other people. And it's a joy actually to watch that from my perspective in your life. Thank you. So speaking of suffering, when we're talking about devaluing and the harm caused through abusive and on this podcast we're speaking specifically about abusive men because my podcast is specifically for women victims of male perpetrators so we will speak in a gender segregated way so when we're talking about abusive men who use devaluing to abuse their partner that causes tons of suffering right? For her and through no fault of her own. So let's start there by defining what devaluing is. Well, I think that devaluing is anything that diminishes or destroys the personhood of the other. And I realize that's a little bit broad. So I wanted to kind of narrow that down 
into three ways that I see devaluing showing up in these types of situations. One is the obvious, outright tearing you down with words, actions, whether that is verbal abuse or whether that is physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse, whatever it is. Um, that is all of those things are devaluing to the other person because they are treating the other person as if they are not deserving of honor and empathy and love and compassion and respect as a child of God. Now, I actually outline the 13 categories in the systems of abuse in the free giveaway that we're doing later. We can talk about that later. So devaluing can show up in tangible ways, in intangible ways, in psychological ways, in physical ways. But the first and obvious form of devaluing is when someone is overtly and outright tearing you down. And then there are two types of more covert devaluing, and they are harder to detect. I would say that for our community, the covert ways are the more common, especially in the faith community, because you have men who want to be quote unquote followers of Jesus. And so they've got their white shirt and their tie on or whatever they're doing. And they're trying to act like they are a good guy. And so they don't want to do anything over that's obvious. Like they wouldn't want to yell at their wife in front of other people. You know, they're not going to be swearing or whatever at church. So they're going to put on this face. But even at home, they might pray or read their scriptures or do other things to make you think like they're a man of God. So let's talk about these covert things, because I think these are more common to our listeners. But not only that, but this is what makes it so difficult to understand what's happening, because you can't quite tell what's happening. Absolutely. This is what creates that trauma fog and that sense of confusion, because on the face of it, they're doing everything that you think they should be doing according to your belief system, right? And then there's something that doesn't fit. And you can't always put your finger on it. And I want to suggest that there are two ways that that happens. And this is an angle that we don't often take when we look at it. But one is they are putting you on a pedestal and wanting you to play God in their lives. Or they are putting themselves on a pedestal and wanting to play God in your life. Let's talk about that first one. That's really interesting. I think, I'm not sure, I'm excited, but are you about to say that they want to sort of hand you the keys to their life and sort of create this scenario where you are managing everything that's going on in their life? Oh, it's like you're inside my head or something. I'm going to take a break for just a second to talk about Trauma Mama Husband Drama, my picture book for adults. This is the perfect picture book to give to someone who is having a hard time wrapping their head around what is going on. It's short. So if you're like, oh, do I give him Trauma Mama Husband Drama or do I try and get him to read Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft? They're more likely to read through this. They can read through it in like four minutes. There's some infographics at the back. It makes it really digestible. To get your copy of Trauma Mama Husband Drama, you can either just go directly to Amazon 
and type in trauma, mama, husband, drama, and find it there. Or you can go to the BTR books page, btr.org backslash books. And there we have a curated list of all the books that we recommend that people read. And if you click on it from there, it'll just take you right to Amazon. But you might want to see all the books that we recommend. Again, that's btr.org backslash books. Now back to my conversation with Sarah. Oh, I'm like, are you going there? I think you are because I think so many of us have experienced this. We think, oh, our husband's okay. Especially, I mean, I've heard so many victims say this, especially when they're in the relationship, she's not so concerned. She's not as concerned because she can quote unquote manage things, right? Like if she tells him, hey, he needs to go to therapy, he'll go to therapy. If she tells him, hey, we need to do this, he'll do it. But the true trauma almost happens when she stops managing him and realizes, oh, whoa, I didn't realize this was who he really was. I did not realize that I had been manipulated into managing his image for him and all these external things for him. Here's how my, my friends over at Psalm 82 Initiative put it. The abuser wants the victim to take responsibility for their problems. The only type of woman who's willing to do that is a woman who believes she's capable of fixing him or who has been taught by her religious environment that it's her responsibility to be the solution to his issues. In that context, he is asking her to play God for him, to be the accountability partner, to be the warden over his addiction, to be the one who is keeping him on the straight and narrow, to be the one who can change his ways. And the more competent or obligated a woman feels in helping him change, the longer and more tenaciously she's going to hang on to the abusive relationship because she's going to keep telling herself, I just need to be a little more loving. I just need to be more gracious. I just need to be more prayerful. I just need to be more like Jesus because there's something in me that can make this situation better. And the truth is there's nothing in you as a woman that can change an abusive, addicted spouse. Can you talk about some of the religious scripting that women may have heard that would lend them to this type of thought? Well, there's the whole warped concept of submission. Some of the scripting is... This is something that we hear so often with pastors or biblical counselors or church therapists or whatever. You need to go home and you need to be more loving. You need to make sure that you are doing everything you can do. You need to give him enough sex. You need to pray more, et cetera, et cetera. So basically what they're telling the wife at that point is that you need to love him as Christ loves the church, right? You need to be self-sacrificial. You need to be kinder. You need to be more filled with grace. You need to be more understanding. And instead of holding the husband to be accountable for exhibiting the fruits of the spirit in his marriage and in his home, they tell the woman to go home and love her husband like Christ loves the church, which actually, in a very backhanded sense, is telling the woman to go home and take spiritual headship over her husband as husbands are told to do. Now, what's kind of insane is that those church leaders or religious leaders who most often will give this message to women are quite often those who feel very strongly about male headship and the doctrine of male headship, of, of the entitlement of men to take power and control over women in faith communities plays a huge part of this because it's actually an innate infrastructure 
that at its core is teaching women to idolize their husbands and to treat their husbands as higher than God. This is especially in very conservative fundamental types of faith communities. It's not in all faith communities, but where it exists, it is at its core, it is allowing the husband to play God and to stand in the place of Jesus and the spirit in the life of his wife and his children and commanding them to worship him as an idol, to give them power and control that God never intended any human to have over each other. And at the same time, when there is addiction or betrayal in that same type of marriage, so often the husband places the wife on an inverse pedestal, expecting her to manage and control the environment for him, which is in a way asking her to play God in his life. Even while he is telling her that he has perceived scriptural entitlement to be God to her. Either of those things works against her. Yes, but actually it works against him as well. Here's why. Because either one of those things, or both of them, when they coexist, prevents the husband from actually taking responsibility for himself before God and doing the work of healing and recovery. So it works against him too. Right. Because if you can't take accountability for your actions and you're expecting someone else to manage your environment for you so that you don't misbehave, you never actually repent or actually come to know God or actually have a relationship with God, right? You're just relying on all these external factors to make sure that your image stays intact. Exactly. And every sin falls into one of two things. It's either pride or unbelief. Pride is I can do this better than God can. Unbelief is not even God can fix this. Everything we struggle with, addiction, abuse, victimization, trying to figure out how to manage everything, all of it is either pride or unbelief. That's one of those things where you like you sit there and you're like, wow, that, that almost deserves a moment of silence. Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking. I was Well, actually, I was thinking about my own weaknesses that I have and categorizing them into those two categories and how that helps to be like, oh, okay. It, it helps to know how to combat that or tackle it or process it or whatever. I really like that. That's really good. You said you had a couple things in your mind. Did you cover everything or there's a couple other things there? You know what? Honestly, after chemo, I have found that I have to write things down because otherwise, um, the, the list of things that I can hold in my head sometimes is shorter than it used to be, but it's getting better. It's definitely getting better. One of the things though is just kind of piggybacking off of this and taking it deeper is that abuse and addiction, and of course you and I have already established that we agree that sexual addiction is abuse. We're in total agreement on that. So abuse and addiction at its core is all about misplaced worship. The abuser and addict is either worshiping you or 
they're worshiping themselves and demanding that you worship them too. Either way, they're not worshiping God or submitting to him. When you're devaluing somebody else, you're not seeing their worth, their identity, or their uniqueness. You're not loving your partner for those things. So an addict who has an abuser mindset, I'm not saying that there are addicts who don't have abuser mindsets. I'm, I'm just lumping all of that in together. The addict with an abusive mindset that goes hand in hand is going to create this idea of you. And that's who they fall in love with. The idea of you that they've created in their head, Patricia Evans calls it the teddy bear. Psalm 82 Initiative calls it a legend. They have this concept of who you are. And as long as you align with that facade that they've created in their mind, they fell in love with, things will go fairly smoothly most of the time because you will be controlling the parts of their environment that they want you to control, taking responsibility for their missteps or their wrongful actions that they want you to take responsibility for and letting them be free to act out or misbehave in the ways that they want to act out and misbehave. So as long as you are aligning with that hologram of yourself, things will go fairly smoothly. It's when you decide to set boundaries or you start to see through the lies or you start to recognize the level of betrayal. And when you ask them to, to take responsibility for their own issues and to take responsibility to address their own problems, or when you insist on being authentically you and that doesn't line up with the kind of the hologram that they imagine you to be, then all hell breaks loose. And at its core, they have devalued you as a person because they're in love with the hologram, not with the human. Well, and they've created that fantasy version of you to suit their own needs. And so when you, the real person, shows up and is authentic and says something because you're a real person, right, about how you think or how you feel, and it does not align with how they feel like they deserve to be treated or that their ideal situation, even if it's really small. You say something in front of other people that's kind of teasing them, but in a good way, not in an abusive way. And they're like, I always want adoration around other people. Like the fact that she said, oh, yeah, no, he doesn't like doing this. When he doesn't, that's true. But he wants people to think that he does. So rather than him being willing to be authentic, that is like an injury to him. Yeah. Or, I mean, it could be just in some extreme situations, you change your hair or you wear an outfit they don't like. Or... In more covert situations, it might be reserved for bigger things, but there could be jealousy or you talk to someone that they don't think is okay, or you break out of their isolation. You insist on maintaining a, an important relationship that they don't like because, and I'm not talking about an indecent relationship. I'm talking about if they're trying to isolate you from your family or your parents or your best friends or people that are good and healthy in your life, but they want to cut you off and they want to be the center of your attention. That's devaluing your need for healthy relationships outside of them. 
that's devaluing the importance of you having human connection. We're going to pause here. I'm going to continue my conversation with Sarah next week. But in the meantime, Sarah has some things she wants to give away to you. So I'm going to let her take it away for a bit. Okay, cool. My organization is Wilderness to Wild. And we talk about how we leave the wilderness. And that's where we're wandering in the fog of abuse. And we move into the wild. And the wild is where we have confidence and clarity and freedom to be who God has called us to be. So there are things that I would like to give away for free to you today as a listener for the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast. So one of the first things that I want to offer you is access to a webinar that I did. I've given Anne links to the virtual meetup that I recently did with Psalm 82 Initiative, we talk about the four tools and the four elements that abusers use in every situation, no matter what the context, whether it's work or marriage or faith community or some other kind of relational system. And it is a killer webinar. It's available to you for free. We will put these links in the show notes and also on our website at btr.org. So if you go to this podcast episode on the website, you can get all of these links there. Sarah is amazing. I'm so grateful for her personal friendship with me. I'm grateful that this trial that we've both been going through, that we have each other and we have you. It's such an amazing community of strong, brave women, and I really appreciate being a part of it. It's amazing, and we love you. So stay tuned for more episodes with Sarah next week and the weeks after. If this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.